You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. A different service today. Service of quiet and reflection. Welcome again to our Good Friday service. It does strike me as odd. I don't know about you. It strikes me as strange, and, and Jazz alluded to this in her prayer, strange title for today, Good Friday. From what we've just read, it's pretty confronting. Harrowing. We've just read of Jesus' betrayal, of his sham trial, of his torture and execution. It doesn't seem very good does it? But for centuries today, this day in the Christian calendar has been known as Good Friday. Why? I want to briefly answer that question just with this 10-minute reflection by looking at what Jesus says as he hangs on the cross. In John, in this book and what we just read, he says three things. And when we look at those things, we will find great reason to call today good. In our reading, we saw together, didn't we, Pilate and the Jewish leaders condemn Jesus. They condemn him, the soldiers beat him, humiliate him. And Jesus then carries his heavy cross to the place of execution. There they crucify him and they hoist him up on the cross. And there he hangs, and there he utters his first words, which might strike you as a bit unusual. His first words are these, dear woman, here is your son. And he looks to his disciple and says, here is your mother. What does he mean? Well, if you know the story, before we started our reading, Jesus is arrested the night before in the garden. And all of his followers flee in terror. They're afraid, filled with fear, and they leave Jesus. Peter, one of his closest followers, denies he even knows him three times. And yet at the foot of the cross, there are some. There are three women and one man. Three women Jesus' mother, Mary, Jesus' auntie, and Mary Magdalene, and also John, most likely incognito. John is there, who wrote this book. That's why he says in the reading we've just heard, this man has seen this and testifies to you that this is true. These are eyewitnesses, faithful followers, the three women and John, faithful followers and witnesses to this tragic and history-making event. And there is Jesus in agony on the cross, suffocating, heading towards death. And he looks at his mother, Mary, and is filled with compassion for her and thinks of her future. Now, we just, we can't fathom the pain that Mary would have been experiencing, a sword piercing her own heart, witnessing the brutal execution of her son, can you imagine, And Jesus loves her in this moment and seeks 
to provide for her, to provide for her future. Her husband, Joseph, isn't around, we think most likely dead. Jesus, the eldest son, his role to care for her, who will after he's gone? Well, he looks at John, his friend and disciple, and he looks at his mother and he says what? Now you will be mother and son to each other. You will be mother and son to each other. It's a beautiful moment. Think about it. Jesus, in unimaginable agony and pain, thinks of others to the end. Love and service to the end. But in these words, Jesus is not only taking care of two of the most special people in his life, although he most certainly is, something even more profound is taking place. In this moment, Jesus is bringing together a new family, which is the church. Here, Jesus lays the foundation for what will become the church in his name, a new people, where mothers receive sons they don't bear, where people care for the elderly and the vulnerable that didn't raise them, where strangers become family. Where strangers from all different ages, races, ethnicities, social background become family. This is profound. This is the church. This is the family of God. Now, there is no doubt the church is far from perfect. I think we probably all have stories of disappointment, maybe. I do with the church, of hypocrisy, of pride. We must admit there are times when the church looks just so different from its founder, Jesus Christ. And at those times, the church must repent and change. But this doesn't cancel out the enormous blessing the church can be and is for so many around the world. A place where anyone who desires can become part of the vast family of God. Through his cross, Jesus makes us family. Jesus, in his death, gives life to a new community based on love and service, and I think this makes today good. That makes Good Friday good. Well, Jesus' next words on the cross are very brief, and they are this, I am Thirsty. I thirst. I don't know if you noticed in our reading, John and the other gospel writers too, they give us just such little detail about the crucifixion of Jesus. Did you notice? It's simply, and there they crucified him. That's all John tells us. We are spared the gory details. Cicero, who was a Roman historian of that time, he called crucifixion the most cruel and terrifying punishment. People knew just how abhorrent crucifixion was. After the nails were driven into your hands and feet, you were hoisted up to hang up on the cross for as long as days, possibly, and there you suffocated. The position of your body meant that it was just incredibly hard to take every breath. It was an excruciating effort. That's where excruciating, the word, comes from, crucifixion, excruciating. 
and you would experience great agony and thirst as death came closer and closer. And here, Jesus' words, I am thirsty, they give us just a little indication of what he was going through at this time. Now, why does that matter? Why is that important? Why is it relevant? How can it help us answer why today might be called good? Why? Well, John chapter 1 tells us, verse 14, that the Word became flesh. What does that mean? It means God became human. It means the God that we think could be out there, might be out there, became one of us. Blows our minds. That he experienced life like you and I do. In a real and genuine way. He wasn't cheating on the test. He experienced it as we do. He got tired. He slept. He got hungry. He ate. He wept at the graveside of his dear friend. Now, why is this good? Why does it matter? Here's why. Because he is like us, he gets us. Because he is like us, he gets us. Uh, Don't you think there's just nothing less comforting than pouring your heart out to someone and they just have no idea about what you're experiencing? This is not Jesus. The crucified king, the one we pour our hearts out to, the one that hears our prayers, who journeys with us in our pain and suffering, he knows what it's like to hurt. He knows what it's like to thirst. You know, one of Jesus' great promises, and there are many, is to satisfy the hungry and thirsty. He said, if you're thirsty, if you have a spiritual thirst, hunger, if you're thirsty, come to me and springs of living water will flow from within you. And don't you think it's just fascinating that the one who claims to be able to satisfy our thirst now cries from the cross, I am thirsty. We are meant to see this link. It's no accident. I mean, think with me for a moment. Do you, do you think Jesus didn't have the ability to quench his own thirst in that moment? Do you think he lacked the means? Do you think he lacked the strength to overpower the soldiers who beat him and humiliate him or remove the nails that held him to the cross? Of course not. Of course, he, he, he could have done all those things, but he chose not to. Jesus is not some hapless victim. He willingly endured the humiliation, the pain, the thirst, so we didn't have to. There was no other way to make us right with God. This sacrifice had to take place only by Christ's death could his promises be fulfilled. And so he endured thirst so we could drink the water of life. Let me ask you, will you drink what he offers? Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Do you long to be filled? 
for all who receive this living water today most certainly is good. And finally, our last point before we finish, Jesus' last words fittingly are, it is finished. And then he breathed this last, we are told, it is finished. What's finished? What's finished? In the eyes of the Jewish leaders, in their mind, well, this sham Messiah is finished. Job done, threat removed. In the eyes of the secular authority, Rome, this religious pest is finished. Potential rebellion thwarted. In the eyes of the soldiers, this weak, seemingly weak, frail man's suffering has ended. His life is finished. But that's, that's not what Jesus meant. The meaning of his words can't be overstated. They are earth-shattering, history-changing, enormous. It is finished. What does it mean? It means he set out. He accomplished all he set out to do. All that the prophets foretold that the Father had set him to do, the power of sin broken. The devil defeated, the world now overcome. Reconciliation with God now possible for all who believe, for all who trust in him. The, the original language of the New Testament is Greek, and the Greek word used here is, is quite special. It's called it's tetelestai. Now, why do I comment on that? Because the way it is used, it gives incredible meaning. The way it's used, it gives the meaning of a past act completed with the continuing present tense force. What does that mean? It means that something's already happened, yet has profound meaning ongoingly for you and I today. You see, it is finished, and what he has accomplished can be applied to us 2,000 years later. That's how powerful these words are. It is finished. Jesus' life on earth finished. Abundant life for you and I, now beginning, now made possible. Through his pain, suffering, and death, we can receive life even today. Brothers and sisters, friends, we are about to receive communion, the Lord's Supper. Come and take hold of Jesus' promises this day, today. Come to me, he says, all who are hungry, and you will be filled. Come to me, all who are thirsty, and you will be satisfied. Trust in me. And you will live even though you die. What great promises. Friends, will you come and take hold of them this morning? Will you come? Will you come and receive life through the death of our Christ? In a moment, I'm going to pray to prepare our hearts to receive this meal of remembrance. How communion will work this morning is there will be a station on either side. Please, if you'd like to come down and participate with us, 
make a, an aisle in the middle and just choose one side, uh, one or left. Receive the bread and the juice and in that moment, take them. The person in front will say, the body of Christ given for you and then the blood of Christ given for you. And as you eat and drink, as you eat the truth of what today means, may you be filled. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you on this special day. This day that changed the world. Before receiving communion today, we want to come before you and admit that we've gone our own way. We have not loved you as we should. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we admit we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and in what we've failed to do. We deserve your condemnation, but Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and our neighbor and to live for your honor and glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.